Hi, this is Megan R. Curie, author of multiple short stories, including Am I Missing the Sunlight, found in Borderland 7, and you're listening to the HP Lovecast podcast. Welcome to HP Lovecast Presents Fragments, our auxiliary monthly podcast. In each episode, we will present a discussion of a story as an addendum to our HP Lovecast or discussion of an independently selected story. We may also interview creators, such as writers and artists in the horror and or horror fantasy genres. Hi, I'm Michelle Brittany, editor of the Bram Stoker-nominated Horror in Space and the book review editor at the Journal of Graphic Novels and Comics. I write on all things pop culture with special emphasis on the horror and spy genres. And I am Nicholas Dyack, pop culture scholar of Peplum Films, Industrial Music, Horror Studies, and the editor of The New Peplum for McFarland. Michelle and I co-edited Horror Literature from Gothic to Postmodern, also from McFarland. We're flipping our episodes this month, so we're going to air our Fragments episode uh, this Sunday and our regular HP Lovecast podcast on Sunday, February the 21st. Our interviewee today is Lee Murray, and she's been a guest on our Scholars from the Edge of Time podcast, so if you've missed that, we will have a link in the show notes. Lee Murray is a New Zealand speculative fiction author, poet, essayist, editor, and mentor. Perhaps best known for her Tane McKenna series of military and monsters novels and short stories, Murray has also edited numerous anthologies, such as Hellhole, Black Cranes, pinned young adult books such as Dawn and the Zombie Apocalypse, and has just had her first collection of short stories published, Grotesque Monster Stories. A frequent and friendly face at various conventions, Murray is also the recipient of numerous awards and nominations. For this episode, we'll be interviewing uh, Lee about her most recent releases, Grotesque Monster Stories and Black Cranes. Hello, Lee. So we last interviewed you about a year and a half ago in the Scholars from the Edge of Time podcast. So we're very happy that you're joining us on the HP Lovecast podcast. Uh, so why don't you catch us up to speed? What have you been working on this uh, past uh, you know, year and so? Oh, Goodness, this past year has been quite tumultuous, and um, I haven't actually written any books this last year. I've had a few come out, but I haven't actually written any. But so most of this year has been focused when when I can focus my brain, because I think we're all a little bit fuzzy <laughs> um, with what's going on worldwide. Um, I've been working on short stories. So I had about ten or twelve short story commissions over the year. So I've been plugging my way through those, um, which is nice because someone else is thinking up the, uh, the, t- the themes and the topics and saying, you know, can you, can you come up with something? And then I sit with them for a while and see if I can come up with something fresh, a fresh take on that particular, particular theme. And um, so that's been good. And it's also kind of up my game because I think you always have to, when you're writing for someone else, 
you really you really want to give them your best story and because there's always a chance they won't accept it they won't fit in with the uh, with the anthology or the or the venue that uh, that is um, seeking the work and so it really makes me up my game so I, I'm hoping that um, that I've, I've you know come through the year with perhaps a fresher look um, and I've been moving to a bit more poetry as well so um, yeah it's been an interesting kind of year I think I think actually, you know, my dad died last year during New Zealand's lockdown, and so, um, you know, I, um, I I haven't been really able to focus hard on, you know, a big text, and so perhaps it was a good thing that I had these other things to distract me. So a little respite from it all. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, just a different direction, and just a, you know, just a fresh challenge, and I think that that's. You know, there's nothing wrong with that, and it hasn't been a non-productive year. It's just been a different kind of productivity, if you like. Well, it may not have been for you very productive, but for us to, you know, looking at, you know, what's coming out that we see on social media, you have us fooled because you look still very prolific, all sorts of short stories and other, you know, anthologies and whatnot coming out. So to us extremely prolific and we always look forward to gobbling up your new texts oh thank you well i think i mean it's just a little bit a testimony to publishing isn't it because that in some ways you know there's always a bit of a lag and most of my work is with small presses and so they're a little bit more responsive and they can get work out a little more quickly has been problematic with the pandemic but in general they are very you know much quicker than a bigger house and so the work that's come down the line this year so i put out um um three anthologies and uh and one novel collaborative novel and one collection fiction collection so um an actual fact that that looks like a lot on top of the short stories but that was a lot of that was work that i did the year before so um the anthologies not so much but the you know a lot of the work the written work the the writing um i did the year before so it kind of it's a sort of it's an interesting one so nick this year coming it'll be diff it'll be interesting to see if that if that impression changes because it will look um slightly different with my works coming out not with my name on but you know in inside other anthologies and other people's other people's um, titles. Now the the conveyor belt of Lee's publications will just keep turning out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know I'm a slow writer, so it, you know it takes the time it takes, I guess. Well, um, you know, speaking of your accomplishments, uh, you actually announced, uh, I think it was in December, that you are the Grimshaw uh, Sargeson's writer in residence for this year along with mystery novelist uh, Cleo Lane. Can you tell us more about that honor? And by the way, congratulations on being selected for that. Well, thank you, Michelle. And it's just an absolute coup because, you know, down here in New Zealand, speculative fiction doesn't get a lot of uh, attention. So for me, it, it's, um, it's, it's a fantastic honor. I'm, I'm absolutely delighted about it. And Chloe Lane, actually, she's done very well. She, um, I'm sharing the award with her and she's a first time novelist. So for her to come along and get, uh, pick up this residency with a first time, you know, nov as a first time novelist is absolutely huge. 
Um, but what it involves is a residency in a small stipend and um, there's, a, there's a co um, an apartment in the centre of Auckland, which is our biggest, one of our biggest cities. And um, I get some accommodation there and a stipend in that to work on a poetry collection. So it's, um, it's rather nice to be paid to write. So that's always a, a real plus. Uh, and um, I'm really excited about the work that I'll be doing because um, it's a move to sort of prose poetry. Um, and I'll be looking at the um, Asian diaspora in New Zealand and some of the darker stories. So I, I went delving into an archive called Papers Past and um, found some really interesting stories about uh, Chinese women and Asian women and their, their experiences in New Zealand. And, and some of them are just fascinating. Like there was one woman who um, just happy with her, with her partner. And then one day she had a small baby, which she sliced in half. And um, it's in the paper and it's just this little statement about this poor woman who sliced her baby in half. And you have to wonder Ooh. what was going on. I know, what was going on for that poor woman to feel that that was her only option. And so that's the sort of thing that I'm looking to explore, but through the mythology of the Asian fox spirit, because that's a, that's a, um, a mythological creature that changes its form. So I think that it can inform itself as it goes um, through its uh, through its life iterations into becoming enlightened, if you like, and, and moving on to the celestial world. So I'm, I'm really excited about the project. It's quite complex and a new form for me. So um, yeah, I'm so grateful to the Grimshaw Sargis and um, conveners for selecting me. I'd, I'm, I'm absolutely thrilled to pieces about it. And I'm also pleased for speculative fiction because it doesn't get a lot of attention here in New Zealand. So that's a good thing. Well, super, super congrats on that. And we're definitely looking forward to, you know, uh, to it, you know, being realized. And on the subject of other congrats, although got to be kind of cautious here on how you word this per exactly. HWA rules here, but you are also on the preliminary ballot for two Bram Stoker Awards this year. Now that's preliminary ballot. So again, not, not, not real award, not, not real nomination, but you know, it's the first step. So, mm -hmm. and we're rooting for you. But that oh, is. Thank you. <laughs> it's the long list, isn't it? It's the long list, yes, not the it's short the long list. list. Yeah, yeah. But but the next step is the short list, and and this is, you know, Lee's uh, history with the Bram Stoker Awards. She's 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 gotten a couple nominations. I think there's definitely at least more nominations coming down your way, and I have a good feeling about these two. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's just lovely to, to have that, you know, little bit of recognition. It's really very kind. It's very kind on the part of our colleagues. So, well, let's, let's go ahead and talk about these two works. So the first one is Grotesque Monster Stories, which is your first short story collection, correct? That's right. That's right. The very first. All right. So, so tell us about what's your elevator pitch. Uh, t tell us about your collection here. Oh, well, it's uh, um, a collection of 11 uh, uncanny tales of automatons and zombies and dragons and uh, 
um, dead girls, <laughs> um, and, and monsters in different forms. So it brings together my perceptions of monsters and some of them obviously metaphors and some of them also, you know, pull in different mythologies that, um, that have inspired me. So. And what was the catalyst for this collection, Lee? Well, you know what? Somebody asked me for it. Um, so Steve Dillon of Things in the Well was very kind um, to come to me and say, hang on a minute, Lee, you haven't got a collection out. How about a collection? And I went, oh, you're right. I don't have a collection out. And oh, I do have some stories. And so um, I went away and for a, actually for a long time, I, I didn't, I wasn't brave enough. You know, he, he did ask me and then, and I kind of sort of thought, mm, I'm not quite ready yet. And then he came back and said, well, where are you with this? And, you know, I really want to do it. And which was really lovely, so kind. And um, so I came back to him and I said, you know what, I, I think I am ready. And what about, and I sort of pitched the idea of, you know, a series of monster stories. And he loved the idea. And he said, well, what, what ones have you got? What ones, which particular stories? And he'd read a number of them. And, and one I think he published. So, um, yeah, so it was, it was, uh, it was, you know, it just kind of evolved like that. It was really very kind of him. And I think he gave me the confidence because sometimes you don't believe that you, you have what it takes to, um, to do something like this. And so, mm -hmm. you know, just his confidence was great. And then I wrote a few new stories in order to round out the click, you know, round out the stories. I think it's always nice to put fresh content in. Um, I didn't want to just have a book of reprints. So mm -hmm. there are four new stories in that collection, um, as well as some reprints and favorites. So well, the collection kind of got the red carpet treatment because there's a, a normal version of it, and there's also a limited edition hardback version. Uh, is that your first limited edition as well? Yeah, yeah, and it's been very limited <laughs> because it's been it's very pricey. Um, um, but I'm so grateful to Steve. He just said, "You know what? I want." It's such a great book, and I just want you to be able to hold this 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 hardback in your hand. And and yeah, and isn't the artwork gorgeous? It's just it's Greg Chapman artwork with the Da Vinci, um, his version of a Da Vinci grotesque on the front. I I love it, um, and it, it is just so beautiful. And Steve does a, a wonderful production. Things in the Well do beautiful, beautiful books. Um, and they're on hiatus at the moment, but they, they do do beautiful books. And um, so I was very grateful to him. And he said, you know what, I think it deserves this and let's give it the red carpet treatment. And I'm very grateful to him um, for having done that. And I think we've, we, did, we haven't sold them all, obviously. It was a very short little run. And because they are so pricey and particularly with um, the, the pandemic and the difficulty with the delivery and that kind of thing. And, and often they have, they actually have to go across the world twice because they've got to get to me for signing and then they have to go somewhere else. So it has made them a little bit pricier, but such a nice, just such a nice thing to do. And I, I'm, I'm very grateful. I know I, one, my mummy has one and she's very pleased. And we've got one too. Yes, I know. I'm delighted. I'm really delighted that one's gone to you. So very grateful for your support. It's a it's a beautiful edition. Um, I it's it's a wonderful collection. Um, I would love to know, Lee. You know, I always think about records and how artists, musicians, will think about how they lay out 
their their tracks. So I'd love to hear your thought process of putting together your table of contents and how you kind of, you know, went through your stories and decided how you were going to put them together and where where you had gaps, what what specifically you wanted to include that that you didn't have in there. Right. Yeah, that's a really good question. And I kind of approached it the way I would approach any anthology project in general. You know, you put a strong story at the beginning and, and a strong story at the end. And often, look, it depends on, you know, with an anthology, it will depend on who your big names are and, you know, um, the, the different types of story or the theme that you're wanting to, to put across. Sometimes it's the um, you might want to go from a, a very, very intense story to a quieter story and have these waves of emotion going through your collection. So there's different ways of, of approaching the way you present it. So for me, I wanted this, ver this big variety of, um, of tales with different, different types of mythology. And I have used New Zealand a lot, so I've kind of use the wave approach where I've braided those New Zealand stories in amongst the other you know, stories from other places. And then also the length of the story makes a difference to a reading experience. A um, couple of anchor stories. So I've got a Tane McKenna adventure in there, which is my <laughs> kind of flagship series. And I've popped that on the end um, to leave readers with some experience of what is my kind of flagship series. And so, you know, it's like, will they want to read some more of that? You would hope. And it's the only place that that particular story is available. So, you know, hopefully they'll read through to the end and in, in order to get to that story and get some, a sampler of the other kinds of things I write. Um, and then, so yeah, and there, so there's a little flash story in the middle and, and that kind of thing. So there were some things about that. And then I ran it past Steve, who's a very, very ex experienced anthologist, um, my, my edit, um, editor and publisher, and, uh, and asked him for his take. And he seemed to think that the order seemed fine. Uh, and I, and I, I think that I'm happy with it. No one has said, oh, it lagged in the middle or, or this or that. So, and there is quite a variety of stories in there. So um, I I'm, I'm fairly happy with the way it came out. And, you know, there's no right way. There's no perfect way, you know. And some people don't even read from start to finish. They'll just pick and choose depending on their mood. And that's fine too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now, at the beginning of this uh interview, you kind of mentioned that the monsters in this anthology, some are literal and some are metaphorical. Uh, and a lot of it's also, you know, with the New Zealand backdrop. So it sounds like you also have some other stuff that you want to convey. So what were some of the themes or stuff that you actually wanted to dive deeper and explore with this collection, especially with some of the stories that you written specifically for it? Um, well, grotesque is a story that um, came out of um, my experiences of living in France for um, uh, seven years. And so I wanted to revisit a, fa a fabulous place that I found intriguing. And that was um, the Clos de Luz in, in France, which is a, an actual tunnel between uh, da Vinci's home and the home of Francois Premier, who was his patron in France. And so there is actually a one kilometer tunnel between the two chateaux, the Chateau d'Amboise and, and this little chateau where da Vinci lived. And it, for a long while it was open, but I've never seen it open. And I was just intrigued by that. And so the opportunity to write a sort of alternative history um, 
around that was exciting and just a little bit of fun, really. Uh, just that, you know, that what if and the whole technology aspect. And, you know, what's amazing about that is Da Vinci actually built some automatons that you know, with some prototypes, he had some prototypes and they actually work, you know, those little robotics, if you, if you use the, the plans that he wrote, they, you know, he drew, they, they work. So, um, so it was a nice technological, if you like, a sort of ancient history, techno punk horror, if you like. <laughs> so I, I enjoyed that, you know, the danger of technology, really, that was that one, because um, monsters, I mean, it's a little bit Fran Frankenstein, if you like, the dangers of technology, which is the classic text in, in, in horror texts of in science fiction texts is Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. So it, it's a, a little bit of an homage to that, if you like. Um, and the other ones, oh, the Hawaii is a new story. And that's a kind of sword and sandal, if you like, in, in terms, yeah. <laughs> in ter um, it basically tells, um, it's a retelling or not a retelling or reimagining of why Kupe, who is the um, legendary character who discovered New Zealand, why he left his home, home island of Hawaii, which is the fabled birthplace of New Zealand peoples, um, and came to Aotearoa. What forced them on this great pilgrimage across the ocean to Aotearoa? So I, I wrote that. And some of the story is kind of known through oral histories um, of our Maori people. But um, I, I took the opportunity to have some poetic license. And what's interesting is that... Um, there, there's a lot of conjecture that Waikiki was actually an island, either Taiwan or the island near uh, an island near Taiwan. There are a lot of islands in that group, um, and there are some similarities in in, in um, Maori mythology with my you know my own Chinese mythology. Um, and you know, uh, well, I'm born in New Zealand, but you know the, these these dual these dual mythologies. Um, so I wanted to explore that a little bit more with the flying monkeys and um, <laughs> the dragons and the sorcerers. And so I really loved, uh, that was such a lot of fun to write, but in my own sort of, you know, um, New Zealand kind of style. Uh, and then I think the other one is the Tay McKenna story. Oh, and then a little story called Heart Music, which is a tiny little story that was inspired by um, Anatoly, oh, I've forgotten his name, a, a very, a, a very um, creepy, a very creepy um, um, uh, Russian necrophiliac, and I don't know if you ever read the stories, but this was a chap, uh, I can't remember when, I think it might have been the 90s, he would dig up um, dead girls and... <laughs> bring them home and salt them and stuff them and keep them in his home. And he had them. Yeah, exactly. And he lived with his parents and they just thought they were dollies. And so it's really macabre. I mean, the story itself is fascinating, but I wanted to write it from the other point of view, because of course we all think it's disgusting and gross and terrible, but what if you were the dead person, you know, and you got the second life? So um, that was fun to explore. So yeah, there, those are the newer stories in the, um, in the collection. So a, a slight little tangent here before uh, I'll get back on topic, but for grotesque, you mentioned, you know, uh, you know, French uh, tunnels. It makes me think of, uh, you have another, if I'm not mistaken, Tane McKenna's story. It's a standalone short story where he and his lady are on vacation over 
in France. And of course he gets roped into, you know, going into the tunnels underneath a, a small town to hunt a, a spiky poisonous dragon, if I if I remember correctly. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He is a polluter. Yes, that's right. Um, yes, isn't it fun to explore these kinds of things? And actually, I said um, that the history of that is actually sort of set around the plague. And I think there were the, a lot of those stories, the last, the last um, time, you know, that those there was a plethora of those kinds of tales was around in medieval times and around about the plague. So, um, so that, that there's a nice parallel there as well. I mean, I do, I do like to um, set stories in places I know and love and, and recreate those things. And, and that's why of course so much of my work is set in New Zealand. Yeah. Yeah. Good thinking. Good, good seeing Nicholas. <laughs> what brought the the volume around was uh steve dylan uh so what did you want to accomplish uh with it um obviously he was a catalyst for it but when you when you actually did go ahead and say i'm going to write this what did you want to accomplish for you personally and oh, for me pers well i mean i guess it's a start it's a it's a good sampler it's a first sampler when people say you know now i have this product which i can say um, you know, uh, if you want to sample my stories, here's, here's an example of my work, of, you know, the breadth of my, some of the breadth of my work, you know, with, based on my favorite thing, which is monsters. So, you know, it was, it's a great, that was a great opportunity. I wanted to highlight some New Zealand monsters um, and some ideas around New Zealand mythology. And I always like to tell New Zealand stories. So, you know, that gave me an opportunity to do some of that and also look at the uh, the tension, for example, in Edward's journal um, is one of my stories, which shows the tension between the, the um, during the colonization of New Zealand between the European ideals and also the Maori ideals. So yeah, so, uh, you know, monsters is a great subject. There's always an in interest in monsters. But yes, also for New Zealand speculative fiction, there's just, there needs to be more of it. We've got some absolutely amazing talent down here in New Zealand, and it just doesn't get a, enough of, a, um, of an airing. And I, you know, I always think that the more that's out there, the better. And, you know, you might discover me, and then they might discover, you know, some of my colleagues, because, you know, I, obviously Dan is a good start, because I, I write collaboratively with Dan. But I have a whole plethora of amazing, amazingly talented colleagues writing science fiction, fantasy, and horror. So I hope that by reading this it'll also it prompt readers to to look further and see what other stories are out there well out of all the stories in the collection what, what would you think is the best one to like really hook someone to say hey come explore my world uh what's the one that you think basically encapsulates you the best that would be you know the entryway into the sampler that is lee murray well you know that's really interesting Nick, that you should say that because, you know, if I look at the reviews that have come so far for the book, there is not one single story that someone hasn't said, this is my favorite story in the book. So I kind of feel I might have nailed it in that there's, there's something there for everyone and it shouldn't really be about me. Um, I've written stories, but it should be about the reader's experience. And, and I'm encouraged by the fact 
that somebody has thought this story is the best and somebody thought this story was the best and and you, because stories resonate differently for different people according to their own experience their own fears um you know so so we i mean and i was talking about this with someone else recently you know in new zealand our some of our fears involve things like earthquakes which which comes into into the clouded sky you know um earthquakes is just a, a very real fear when you live on on a you know uh um on a fault line and the whole of New Zealand is on a fault line, you know, and several fault lines. And, you know, so we live with this tension, you know, every day I think there's, you know, multiple earthquakes around the country and we've had some very, very big ones with lots of, lots of death. And so, you know, so that's a real, very, very real tension. And for other people living in different parts of the world, that really isn't a problem. It doesn't frighten them because it's not, immediate it's not real to them because they don't they don't have the issue and then by the same token if you are a woman you know you know what it's like to be very cautious when you're going from your car to the theater or back to your car or taking the subway at night and so that's a very real fear for women for example and not necessarily for men you know i know my husband just charges off after we come out of the cinema <laughs> and um and i'm behind i'm trying to catch up but you know um and it does he doesn't even think about it because he doesn't even think about it does does not register for him so what frightens us is different. So, you know, so therefore I think um, it's hard for me to say what's the best story, what's the best sampler, because I don't know what fears the reader will bring to the story and what will really resonate for them. So I'm hoping there's something for everyone in here and every one of these stories is a good sampler story for someone. Well, on, on the subject of some specific stories, there is one that we do want to ask a couple questions about because later this month we're going to be on our normal program talking about Cthulhu Deep Down Under Volume 2. Oh, uh, fantastic volume, yes. But you have a story in that collection that's also in Grotesque Monster Stories called Dead in Town, which was uh, actually Bram Stoker nominated last year, correct? Ah. Uh... <laughs> year before last year before last okay. yes last year was into the ashes the, that was the year before last i'm i'm three times nominated no time winner <laughs> okay, we're, we're crossing fingers for the, the preliminary ballot to turn into official nominations to turn into stoker wins this year yes exactly but uh dead in town uh, I mean, you were just uh, speaking not, not just a couple seconds ago, you know, being a, a woman, uh, you know, fear of being out and about. And th th those horrors are definitely in this short story. And this is, this, this is a heart-wrenching story, Lee. It, very, very well written, hence the, the kudos and the accolade that it was getting. But got to ask, what, is, what was the catalyst for this particular story? Yeah, it's triggering, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and a lot of people have approached me afterwards and said, is this a Me Too story? Is this a, you know, this is how much of this is real? And I have to say, yes, Aww. this is real. <laughs> and I wasn't immune to that myself as a, as a teenager. And so, yes, this is, this is real. Now, obviously, the situation was different, and, but um, this comes from a really real place. So, um, and I, and I think that the more we highlight that and we show these horrors and we, we call them out for what they are, 
Um, and I think that's really interesting. And I, without probably giving too much, well, I probably will be giving too much of the story away, but, um, you know, the reality is that when women speak out about these things, they can be persecuted. And so they still get, um, they still get eaten by the monster, if you like. And so, um, so that to me seemed very Lovecraftian, if you like, because there is no escaping those cosmic monsters. You either fall into madness or you are consumed by them. And, um, and so to me, that seemed, seemed like the perfect metaphor. So when I was asked for this story, kind of, um, yeah, it, it, kind of, it kind of resonated for me. And, uh, and also, of course, it gave me the opportunity to talk about small town New Zealand, those insularities, um, the difficulty, you know, the things like single parent families and the difficulty of the, the balance of power. And it also meant that I could talk about the Patupayarehi fairies, which exist in New Zealand, which are a a very um, kind of mischievous type of New Zealand fairy. I know that sounds, it's a beautiful name, Patupayarehi, isn't it? It's just lovely. Um, but they are, they live in the mists of the, of the forest and they can be quite mischievous. And I kind of thought of them as the sort of ha wingers of, of the cosmic forces. And, um, and so, and they are very real. They're, they're very real and they walk the world here in New Zealand. And for many people, they, they are part of our life. They're magical realism, if you like, and that exists. And, and so um, for, for this particular character, I th thought it was the right thing because um, that is very real to us. And, and, uh, and, and so is the situation. It's not something you can hide from. We'll, we'll ask a couple questions about the the monster in this story in a second, but uh, just a couple seconds ago, you'd kind of mentioned when describing a story, you know, like if you're a woman, you if you speak out, there might be repercussions, you know, eaten by the monster in this case. Would you say that the story is a companion piece to another story that you've written? Because I believe you've written a story that was about uh, a woman who was speaking out and she got acid tossed in her face. <laughs> yeah um yes yeah i guess i guess i think that's part of the whole um cultural tension um for a similar sort of situation where um um in in chinese culture of course we don't say things the collective is more important than the individual and so it is more important to safe face and so again I was delving into that metaphor of um, of the saving face and, and what is the who is the person who suffers under those circumstances so yes so, so perhaps there is some oh you're very astute Nick that is that you're very astute to pick that up because they're quite different stories aren't they they're not alike in any way at all um, um, but uh, yeah um, yeah, yes, there is definitely that parallel for sure. I don't want people to think that all my stories are about the same thing because they're not. Oh, but no, those it's... two particularly, um, they were particularly heartfelt. Yes, yes. And that's probably why they stand out for me because I'll be honest, when I, when I think of the work of Lee Murray, I'll be honest, the first thing that flashes my mind is Tate McKenna, big guns, big monsters. But there's also some very somber and serious uh, writing that, 
that you do. And again, it's, I think it's part of your style. It's also, you know, you don't just write uh, exciting action sequences, which you do very well. You also write very uh, eloquently, artfully, and, you know, beautifully in a, in a, in a, in a way. Um, and oh, so, thank you, Nick. That's very kind of you to say that. You can be my fan. I'll put you on my street team. <laughs> but on the subject of exciting things. Because the story was um, included in Cthulhu Deep Down Under, which is very cool. Um, can oh, you there's some wonderful stories in that book. I hope you enjoy reading it. I can't wait to hear what you have to say about it because, you know, some of my favorite people are in that. Robert Hood and um, Sylvia Brown have had her first story, I think, published in that. So, yes, and, and Rob's a veteran. He's a kaiju fanatic and absolutely an expert in kaiju fiction, Nick. So you'd be interested in that. Um, and Sylvia is new and she's... Um, She's actually a poet and she'll be putting out her first poetry anthology uh, this year, I believe. So, um, and there's a number of other very good friends and colleagues in that, in that collection and some amazing stories. So I hope you enjoy it. Oh yeah, and uh, the cover's fantastic. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Like um, I was gonna ask is, could you discuss how you kind of reinterpreted, reinterpreted and or subverted Lovecraft's monster? into your own monster. Obviously you've talked about some of the themes, but can you talk about your interpretation of that cosmic into the monster that you created in that story? Well, the real monster in that story was nothing cosmic as we no. know. <laughs> um, but, um, and I think that uh, the, the point being it was the, that was the unknown and the, 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 um, I think if you I think to a certain extent that cosmic monster was society and the way that society just consumes the individual and and uh, and the, and certain people become the victim of those mm -hmm. of those structures. So really, I think that that's what it was. And, co and cosmic is all around us, and you know the the Lovecraft notion, and also of course Lovecraft was you know, not really a feminist and slightly racist. And so, um, so I think that that was the way I wanted to, to take it. I wanted to use his mythology and his um, wonderful, wonderful imagination in order to subvert that because horror is all about subverting um, and to new truths and, and you know, um, speaking truth to, to structures that, that um, oppress. And so, you, because that is, you know, those are, you know, they're all consuming those monsters. So, um, and I moved a little bit away from the sea and the ocean, which I think is, a, you know, I, I took a bit of poetic license because I think the forest is very much like that. And towns that are on the edge of the forest are like someone beside the sea that, you know, there's this unknown in the forest, isn't there? So that to me was quite that was a, a little bit of a, a subversion from that Lovecraftian traditional sea, um, you know, seascape, which I think, and it seemed to work. It's, I think it seemed to work and the editors accepted that as being, you know, an appropriate change and a little bit fresh um, from what is normally seen to be a very sort of um, literal, you know, in the 
literal or next to the water sort of <laughs> sort of uh, landscape for a for a Lovecraft story. So, gotta ask if it's something that you're willing to reveal because all these monsters have some, you know, juicy, unpronounceable names. You know, Shugoths and Cthulhu's and Zoth Amogs. <laughs> Does your critter have a particular name? No, no, nope. I don't. I don't. I don't name it. And um, and I think that's <laughs> because women don't name it. They don't say it. They don't name uh... it. And I thought that was important not to name it. And I and then the fairies lead her there and um she's betrayed essentially and I think by people by you know, she's betrayed. And so I think that Triple betrayed in that story. Triple yeah, betrayed. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny how these things unfold, isn't it? Um and you know why when you're writing it, you just write it and and then afterwards you think that's the way it needs to be and that that's the right thing, you know? And sometimes you can be, and, and often an editor will come and say, you know, how about this, how about that? And, and usually you'll say, yeah, sure, that sounds like something that will improve the story. But sometimes you just know deep down that um, this was the right way to, to end a story or the right approach to take. And in fact, they made no edits. I think I can't, I think I made a couple of spelling mistakes. I'm pretty bad at that. <laughs> But in, in principle, they changed none of the story. So um, I think they agreed that, that, that it fit, you know. And, of course, such a unique place to set a Lovecraft story, um, New Zealand. It's not done enough. Well, no. you definitely succeeded. Yeah, there needs to be more like that. Um, oh, thank you. Well, Lee, um, I think we want to... Um, segue now to the other uh, collection that you have up for that you're on the preliminary ballot for um it is black cranes tales of unquiet women and this is included in the anthology collection or anthology category it's co-edited with genevieve flynn and um so if you could just to for folks that aren't familiar with this book could you go ahead and give us a your elevator pitch or a synopsis of this collection yes um thank you for that uh, introduction to the collect, uh, to the anthology which i'm just super super proud of um, and uh, it's a collection I put together um, with my colleague, my Australian colleague, Genevieve Flynn. And it's about, um, it's, it's written by Southeast Asian writers of, um, um, of horror um, and they're tales of unquiet women. So tales which basically subvert those traditional roles of Asian women in society um, and looking at those with the, under the lens of, of horror. Uh, and so, oh, oh, I'm so proud of it. Really, just uh, just uh, something different. We found there was a gap in the market and we didn't see anything by our, by our um, Asian women horror colleagues and we thought there's a place for this. So, mm -hmm. so what was the catalyst for this book? Obviously, you, you saw that there was a gap in the market, but you know, how did you um, end up working with Genevieve? Uh, how did you come together to, to actually put this book together? Well, it's a really funny story. Um, <laughs> and it comes from this whole Asian-ness and otherness that, that we talk about uh, in, in the blurb to the book. And 
Um, I was a guest at uh, GenreCon, which is a conference in Brisbane, and the end of 2019. And Genevieve was also a guest, and and we both turned up to to hear a particular panel. And being conscientious Asian girls, we both arrived like 20 minutes ahead of the uh, ahead of the panel and stood outside waiting for the because we didn't want to be late for the panel. And so we got chatting. And I I had met I'd never met Genevieve, um, Genevieve before, but I'd known of her. We'd I'd, we'd worked on a mentorship program together um, so you know I, we'd been in the Australasian horror community for some time and so you know we'd you know our avatars had passed you know on social media but we'd actually never met so we started talking oh us Asian girls you know we're here early um, and then we started talking about Asianness and horror and where were the other horror writers and where were the other women horror writers and then where's the anthology for us and then I I just thought you know you know where is it? Why haven't we got one? Why aren't we telling these stories? And so it just, you know, I just went home and, um, and we did a bit of reading and, and, um, and, you know, then I kind of pitched it to Kate Jones of Omnium Gatherum. And she said, yes, I think within 15 minutes, she came back to me and said, yes, I would publish this. And so we kind of, there we were, you know, <laughs> so, um, uh, we were kind of, it was happening and, uh, and we were, and then the timing was just perfect. Um, in a way, you know, the pandemic hit, and we were worried we were going to have to push it down, down, you know, further. And um, we were planning to get it out for Worldcon and have some discussion around this at Worldcon, mm -hmm. um, which was Con New Zealand, which was in New Zealand this year. And uh, and then with the pandemic, we had thought, oh, it's going to get pushed down the road a bit because there was this this uncertainty around publishing. And uh, then our contributors came back to us and said, no, no, this is important. Um, it's important, particularly now with the, the kind of um, backlash and unrest and, and, and you know, the, the, a little bit of racism, to be, to be perfectly honest, that, that uh, Asian people were receiving as a result of the pandemic and the origin, um, the fact that the virus originated in China, supposedly, and uh, well, and you know, it's a virus, so it's not like the virus is racist. It's just the way that we perceive it. That that you know, um, and so, um, and it was important to us to say, you know, they, that this is actually also an opportunity for us to to have our say. Um, and there, and I think because stereotypically, Asian women must be submissive and quiet. And so, or they're sexualized, you know, so, you know, it's like they're, they're very, um, but normally we're supposed to be quiet and, and not, and just not say anything. And so there's this absolute fury that comes from these women in these stories um, and they're beautiful, lyrical, um, just gruesome stories. And I'm just, and the breadth of them and the mythology that is, there. I'm just so, so proud and so grateful to them. But the impetus was there. The, I think the timing, Michelle, was just right for this. You know, it, there was a gap there. And it's not about the market, the sales. It was about what do people need? What do they want to read? What are they looking for? And it seemed to me there was a thirst and a hunger for this kind of fiction um, to to highlight these voices and to hear what these people had to say as a response to what's going on globally now and what their lived experience has been throughout their lives. So, 
yeah, there, there was a big impetus. There was a push and we might have let the, the drop the project because it was in the too hard with the pandemic and actually, no, that just kind of reinforced the need for this particular collection. Mm -hmm. And I'm so glad. I, it's, it's a beautiful book. Um, like I asked uh, with, with Grotesque, I would love to hear more your thought process behind the table of contents, how you came to put together this book, the actual mechanics of, of that. Putting the order uh, and putting yeah. the order and, and, and making that selection because, you know, your hand and Genevieve's hand is what shaped this book. You know, as we were talking kind of um, in our little green room about how directors have, have the, the authority and uh, their vision of shaping. Can you talk about your vision and Genevieve's vision with this book and how you approached it and, and respected those voices? Right. Well, first of all, you know, the stories we got were incredible. They were incredible. Um, and Genevieve and I have stories in here as well. And so having another editor is important because you can be, you need to stand back from your own stories and be a little bit objective. And um, so, um, but um, so it's great to have someone else say, this is, this is the right place for your story or not yours, you, you know. So we needed that objectivity because we have our own stories in here. But, um, but first of all, the, the real thing was that we had we could have put them in any order and they probably would be good because there's such, you know, talent amongst our contributors. Um, not, not, not meaning myself, but my other contributors. Um, and, then, and then we had some different links and we had some different mythologies and we had some historical and some contemporary and some futuristic. So we had such an opportunity for order different sorts of ways of looking at this looking at the particular um particular stories we had science fiction and we had legend and we had you know contemporary and just just so much breadth um just in these 14 stories and so so how do we how do we decide to put them together well we didn't go for the traditional at all because normally you'd put a very strong story first and a um, and a very strong story last and then make sure that we we have the right emotional beats as you go through the anthology but but this one we had a story called the ninth tale by Rena mason Mm -hmm. um, which is a story about uh, the fox spirit and um, which we met i mentioned earlier but um and it's a folkloric, uh, rather dark um, folkloric story. Beautiful, beautiful, poetic writing. Delightful. And, uh, and there's some real comedy in there as well, um, in, in places which juxtapose against that darkness. But the ninth tale is interesting because we decided because of Chinese mythology, we must put that ninth so that's it, you know, so that was that one. And then, you know, of course, the, the eighth tale is good luck. You know, eight is a very good luck tale in, um, in, uh, in uh, Chinese mythology and Asian mythology. And so, so we selected a tale that had an eight in it. And the fourth tale is my own story, Phoenix Claws, which um, includes the number four, which of course means death. And so we used our Chinese and our Asian mythology to put this particular collection together. And then we, we, we wove the stories or other stories around according to um, 
according to the sort of emotional beats that we wanted and then mixing up those futuristics and what have you. So then we had, but was really interesting because after we decided that I said, I'll throw something together and then Genevieve threw something together and we came back and it was the same except for a couple of like slight alterations, like a swap and you know, except for she didn't put her own story last. And it's a very strong story, Little Worm. It's, a, it's an absolutely beautiful, beautiful and dark story about um, filial, you know, and a daughter's obligation towards a, a mother and, mm -hmm. and the burden and the guilt and the way that operates and how men uh, get, get off lightly on that um, in, Asian, in Asian families. And, and also she talks about the... I think it's called the Kiikwa um, mythology, and that's just really interesting. And some of that's drawn from Genevieve's own life, so that was exciting. But she, but she, of course, she's very humble, and you know, Chinese women, you know, um, Asian women, they they don't want to put themselves forward. And again, so I had to actually say no. Genevieve, this is this is the right story for the to finish the collection. And there's that little aspect of hope and tradition and the whole carrying on of things that that is important to leave that feeling when we leave the 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 to us to leave that the anthology and the reader with that feeling if they read them in order. And she went, you know, <laughs> it took a bit of convincing. So that's how that came about. So it's so actually, I think it was kind of unique in the way that we approached it with this very Asian gaze um, in terms of the setup. But like I say, perhaps it would have been the same if we'd just, you know, pulled them out of a hat and said, this one's number one, this one's number two, because we had just such a great quality of story. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned the Asian gaze, and um, I was thinking about asking you about the themes that you wanted to explore, but I'm thinking of actually shifting that just a little and asking you first, what were the common themes that you read throughout these stories? What, what kind of voice was coming from all of these stories that was common through, through all of them? Rage, fury, mm -hmm. rage, you know, just having a voice and you've given me a voice, so I'm going to scream it in a very subtle and unquiet way, if there's, a, if there's a way of saying that. I mean, just from the very beginning, um, it's interesting, you know, Al Makatsu, um, who wrote The Deep and The Hunger, um, wonderful wonderful writer, and she's got Red Widow, I think, coming, which is a spy thriller, and Alma was a spy, so I just can't wait to read that. It's coming in April. But Alma wrote our... Um, uh, our forward and you know she she's a very astute um, writer and she she it's a very personal essay actually and she she noted this too but she wrote she wrote this forward and she sent it to us and she said I think it's too strong and I'm not sure about it and I read it and I, I just the emotion that comes out just from the forward. We didn't ask her to write a piece of fiction. She wrote a forward for us, having read the collection. And she 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 mentions this rage and this um, this otherness and this the pressures and that that theme just carries right through the collection. And I showed the forward to my mother because Alma said, you know, I'll rewrite this because this is this is a little too strong. And I showed it to my mother at that same night because I went to mum's for dinner and she went, no, this is powerful and this needs to be said and this is exactly the right 
the right tone and the right, she's nailed this effectively. My mother wouldn't use the word nailed this, but she basically said, no, this is right. This is right. And I went back to Alma and I had a discussion with Genevieve and I went back to Alma and said, we love it. This is right. And then I think, and it was just, it just, we didn't touch a word of it. It was just exactly how it should be. And I think it is that when Asian women are told to be quiet, they must, they must negate their selves and their self and their own ambitions and desires for the collective good or the family, the mother, you know. Um, so there are themes of um, childbirth and, uh, and themes of loss and themes of guilt over, you know, um, having to look after a parent and not, well, my own story, for example, of, you know, marrying someone who wasn't Chinese, you know, that's just not done, you know, you, you do what you're told and, and there's this absolute revolt at this. And so these stories really give these, um, these writers a voice and it's, it's a powerful voice um, because there is so much um, demand for us, so much expectation placed on the shoulders of Asian women. Mm -hmm. So yes, that's the theme. Um, but that said, these women do it in ways that are just exquisite oh. and their writing is full of poetry and drama and action and reflection. And I, I couldn't be more proud. I couldn't be more proud of what they've achieved with this collection. And um yeah, my name's on the cover, but it's their stories that that have just lifted the voices and have told voices. And it's just the tip of the iceberg, Michelle. You know, I, I'm sure, I'm hoping there'll be 10 volumes like this telling stories like these. And further, you know, we had a discussion with a um, Indian book group in, um, and they said, well, where's our Asian stories? You know, where's the stories of, of Indian women um you know um and and there's you know because some of the indian mythology is quite similar i'm not talking about native american i'm talking about the indian right. culture and mm -hmm. um and so yeah and so they're going hang on a minute where's our stories and i thought well yeah exactly that's the whole point is to empower and give people an opportunity to 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 t to tell their stories in their own voices and permission mm -hmm. that's I, I'm, yeah, like I say, I'm so proud. <laughs> We're obviously, um, you know, you're having your voice and the fact that that rage was such a, a, a common theme throughout. Were there any surprises from the various stories or even from yourself and your experience through editing this collection? Yes, there were no surprises in this, just the beauty of them and the fact that yes, we, we knew, we thought they would be strong and they would have, I mean, I didn't know it'd be fury, that that was the thing that connected them all. Mm -hmm. But of course it is the thing that connects them all because, and also don't forget that horror allows us to go into places we shouldn't go. I mean, that is to face those fears and to bring down those demons and to confront them. And so horror is the right genre for these stories, I think, myself. And it is a quieter sort of thing, you know, because we just, even, even with this permission, we still, 
we still have to constrain ourselves, you know, <laughs> somewhat. So it is, you know, when I say unquiet, they're not quiet, but they still are. They still have a grace and an integrity and a humility to them. Um, so what was the question? I've gone off the table. <laughs> oh, I think just uh, if there was any surprises from, oh, um, from the collection. Um. I, I think that the surprise in, was in the breadth mm -hmm. of the styles and the, the not so much the messages which we kind of had hoped we would get, but mm -hmm. the breadth and the and the depth, um, yeah, and also the response because since the book was released, it was released on my birthday last year, so in September, and the the response has from the community has just been inspirational and Genevieve and I are just are just delighted that that you know these voices are being heard and 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 these writers people are looking them up well I you know so so far as I'm hearing they're looking them up and seeking out their work which is which is important to us too mm -hmm. um I that that is very important um there was also a trailer done for this book as well. Can you, did you have any involvement in the trailer? And can you tell me a little bit about that? Um, actually, that was um, Space and Time publisher, Angela Yuriko-Smith, who has a book, a story in the collection, or she has two stories in the collection. And her daughter um, asked and said, I love this collection and can I do the trailer? And we said, well, of course, and of course, coming, at, you know, descending herself from an Asian, um, you know, an Asian culture. Well, why would why would we say no when she clearly had the same gaze? And so, isn't it beautiful? It's a beautiful trailer. I'm, and and we just said, do do your dandest, you know, go ahead, you know, yes, please. And I think she just, I think she really hit the nail on the head because it really conjures those feelings that that are brutal but beautiful um which we which really come across in these stories so i think she's done a beautiful job i'm so proud yeah it's it's a lovely trailer and we couldn't yeah we, this, this is the official trailer yes thank you very much it's perfect <laughs> oh yes and it's it's a it's a beautiful trailer and i'm not going to ask you uh what would be the entry into the book because i think it's I think every essay is going to be required reading. And I think, as you mentioned earlier, the disparia of uh, cultures, I think that this should be a required reading, I'm sure. Oh, well, thank you. I hope so. Oh, that would be wonderful, wouldn't it, as a start point of, of a read of a text for um, horror fiction by Asian writers, for sure. I, I think so. I, I wish I'd had this kind of book when I was going through um, my my uh, media studies, this would have been a fantastic book to have. Um, given um, the good response, are you kind of thinking about maybe doing a follow-up volume to this? <laughs> We've been asked and at this point, um, well, you know, again, a cost and that kind of thing. So um, we'll have to see. I haven't said no. <laughs> um, um, Angela Eureka Smith and, and I are talking about a different sort of volume related, a related sort of volume. So we're, that's, that's on the down low at the moment because we just saw, still teasing out that notion. And I know that Rena Mason, who um, is one of our contributors, yep. is currently the editor of the um, Horror Writers Association Other Fears 
anthology. And I think that that's the right thing. You know, that's a similar, because we looked at otherness and that particular anthology is looking at otherness, otherness and that sense of disassociation from society and, and the things that alienate and um, prejudices. And I think she's a perfect editor for that. And um, so I'm glad to see that she's growing and there's, there's going to be another editor with that, you know, breadth of perspective. Um, so that's wonderful news. And then Grace Chan, who's one of our, um, one of our contributors, has got a, a novel coming out next year. I forget who it's with, but it's, it's just also looking at uh, Asian diaspora and those blended cultural issues. So identity and, and belonging. So I'm excited about that. So there's lots of, you know, not spin-off, but, you know, down the line projects that are coming coming on my own um, poetry collection, looking at the Asian diaspora in New Zealand through the, the pop spirit mythology. And I'm hoping that will be another text, which will be the next step in your reading list. Um, Great. And um, yeah, so I think there's just a lot spinning out of it. And I'm hoping just the discussions that it provokes will be, you know, will be an important start point for broadening the subgenre, if you like, because there seems yes. to be a need for it, you know. Um, just in the same way as Afro-American women have really sort of solidifying their place in the literary scene at the moment. And with the Black Lives Matter um, movement, it's very important for them to be able to have their say. So, yes, I think uh, I'm hoping that this will be a wider conversation, Michelle. Yes, uh, I'm, I'm anxious to see uh, more stories and I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to hear that that uh, the contributors are doing so much after uh, this so that there will be a lot of reading for for all of us that that are are keen on their stories in this collection so thank you so much for doing this you know I think it's a it has extreme uh, value um, so I'm very excited about it and and congratulations again um, thank you. you you have every right to be so honored and and so proud of this it's it's so important so anyway i guess we've kind of covered quite a bit actually well so that's because i can't stop talking <laughs> well we'll take this opportunity to kind of wind down things uh michelle had asked you know kind of what was in the future for black cranes but let's take that a little bit more broader what's in the future for lee murray what's what's on the radar any publications coming out uh, other things that we should be watching out for yeah, okay. So um, a couple of secret squirrel projects in, in, in the background. And one of those ones is the one I was talking about with Angela and Eureka Smith. Actually, we've got a couple of little things. So a small, some small, smaller collections. And um, also the poetry collection and um, I, the youth collection. So I, every year I do a youth collection of speculative fiction by New Zealand youth. And so I'll be editing that one this, again this year. And that will be, I think my last time, it's the 10th year. And I think I should move on and let some other people do, <laughs> do that. And, um, but I've, I have loved doing that work with New Zealand youth. And so, um, I'll be doing that one again this year. And, uh, Again, lots of short stories on the go. And um, I'm also working on a development of one of my stories from a grotesque. And it's just a one-off. And people keep saying to me, well, where's the rest of the story? I want to read the rest of this world. 
and a film producer has said, yes, I wouldn't mind reading some more stories in this world. So, um, so I'm, I'm looking at developing that as well. And I've got a Tane McKenna novella novel sort of sitting in the back of my head that people are saying, where's Tane McKenna? You know, what's happening with Tane? Um, there is a little novella coming out very soon from Screaming Banshee Press, um, which is called Into the Geyserland. And that's about... Um, that's a little Tane McKenna adventure, so um, based around the pandemic. So, um, I, you know, people who've been waiting for Tane McKenna, there's one of those coming. So, um, so, so yeah, there's always too much to do and not enough time is really the, the answer to that question. Well, I'd love to give a moment uh, for, for listeners who are not familiar with Tane McKenna um, and why he keeps coming up. Can you segue for just a moment about about that series um, and a little bit more about him and what book people should pick up uh, if, they, if they're kind of like, who is Tane? I gotta know more. <laughs> Tane McKenna is a sergeant in the New Zealand Defence Forces. He's part Maori, part Irish, and um, he seems to get into trouble. I mean, one of my colleagues, Christine Morgan from This Is Horror says, Tane McKenna needs to stay the at home <laughs> because every time he leaves the house some disaster happens but here's my opportunity to um to explore New Zealand mythology and the New Zealand landscape through adventure and um uh and I and I, of course I get to throw in my monsters which you know I I love and uh so he's been the funnest series. He came about because um, I was running in the forest with some from friends. We used to do some long distance running. And in New Zealand forests are just beautiful. I mean, they're treacherous because the weather can change and there are ravines and cliffs and, you know, um, flat, you can get flash flooding and all that kind of thing. But actually, we don't have any mountain lions and we don't have any sharks and we don't have any, you know, um, bears and we don't have any stingers, scorpions, you know, the, the worst you can get is a wasp sting in New Zealand. We don't have any creatures. And so I was out running with some friends and we go, oh, we're so lucky to have this wonderful, you know, environment where we can, where we can run and enjoy ourselves and not worry about, you know, um, being eaten by something. And I thought, oh, well, what if we could? And then I did some research. Yes. And did you know in the Urawera, forest they have found the remains of theropods and so you know and then the mythology the new the maori mythology well the maori religion um speaks of tamifar and dragons and serpents and you know there's been you know stories that were told to captain cook when he arrived and well you know stories have a reason right they don't come about for no reason so then my brain started cooking and so um so therefore, Tane was born and he wasn't going to be a series. But then the publisher said, oh, this is best selling. I think we need a series. <laughs> so he's born of commercial necessity to, <laughs> to a certain extent. Um, but oh, he's a favorite character. I do love him. Um, and it's wonderful to have, you know, a homegrown New Zealand hero. And, um, and uh, you know, he's, He's uh, a number of people have said he's their book boyfriend and he is just the hero for the times. Is he not? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, well, maybe 
Maybe there'll be a movie or a, a nice television series. Oh, look, if anyone would like to pick this up as a movie, if there's any film producers there who'd like to pick this up, I'm sure New Zealand on the air would love to help out <laughs> if you're keen. Um, yeah, I'd love to. My husband has this dream that one day The Rock will come down here to play Tane McKenna and, um, and Dave will be able to take him to his local gym and say, hey, I brought my mate to the gym. <laughs> that's, that's, that's my husband's dream. So there you go. It's partly mine and partly his. <laughs> For different reasons, I'm kind of concerned. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Oh, dear. But he would make a great Tane McKenna, would he not? Uh, he would. I think somehow got to slip him a book. Yeah. Anyone who happens to know The Rock, please slip him a book. No, he, I mean, and he went to he went to um, school here, um, Dwayne Johnson. He actually went to school in an Auckland um, school. So he has some experience down under. So I think he can talk the lingo. Well, The Rock is on the cover of my book. We're, we're oh, practically yeah. besties. Why am I, I mean, not yeah, facilitating not? it? Exactly, Nick. Come on. Where is... I don't know. I mean, I was expecting you to pitch it years ago. Yeah. Oh, dear. Oh, oh, we laugh, don't we? But these things... I mean, the thing about film is that it's it's very slow, you know? And And someone said to me yesterday, a very good novelist said to me, a couple of days ago that, you know, with film, everything is yes, 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 until it's a no, whereas in publishing, everything is no, 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 until it's a yes. And I thought, oh, that's, that's very insightful, because it does seem to be like that. Film is very, is very much a collaborative, and all, a lot of the time, writing is you choose, you know, you're getting your name on the book, you have a, a lot of poetic license to, to take the story where you would like to. So um, it's a different process. Where can people find you on social media? Um, it's leemurray.info is my um, is my website. So I uh, love to see people there. And if they subscribe, there's a free book straight away the minute you subscri subscribe. So it'd be lovely if you want to hear about what I'm doing and who I'm speaking to and the lovely podcast I'm on, HP Lovecast, love that name, um, then that's where to go. And I, I, I don't actually, actually, to be honest, I only put out about four newsletters a year because I'm a bit lazy <laughs> so you won't get spammed much by me but um, the website or us I'm on social media so you just look for me there well thank you so much for being on uh, Lee we we are hoping the best for grotesque monster stories and black cranes to uh, to advance and to be nominated and hopefully procure some Stoker uh, awards proper uh, you, you um, we always wish you the very best Thanks so much for having me on. It's lovely to see you guys again. A special thank you to Lee Murray for sharing her insight on her recent writing projects, including Grotesque, Monster Stories, and Black Cranes. We wish her much success with her books and upcoming projects. Please check our show notes for links to Lee's website and books. And in commemoration of Women in Horror Month, we would also like to thank horror writer Megan R. Curry for opening our episode. Links to her websites are in the show notes too. For upcoming events, we'll have a new episode of Scholars from the Edge of Time streaming on Thursday, February 25th at 6 p.m. PST and available for download afterwards. In a case if you missed January's episode, our guest was S. Alessandro Martinez. We discussed his writer's journey in his debut novel, Helmuth, 
that was released last month from Omnium Gatherum. For H.P. Lovecast on episode 36, we'll be discussing two or three short stories from Cthulhu Deep Down Under Volume 2, a collection edited by Steve Proposh, Christopher Sequera, and Bryce Stevens, published by IFWG Publishing International and part of a Dark Phases title, these stories feature an assortment of the finest Australian dark fiction from authors such as Lee Murray, Robert Hood, Sylvia Brown, and Kirsten McDermott. This episode will post on Sunday, February 21st. HP Lovecast is on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Our website is hplovecast.com, and of course you can also email us at hplovecast at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us by purchasing our books. We each have Amazon author pages with links to all the books we have either edited or contributed to with individual essay chapters. Links are also in the show notes. As always, thank you for listening.